This podcast episode from Oncology Data Advisor was recorded live at the 2023 American Society of Hematology annual meeting in San Diego. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit oncdata.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on social media for more exclusive content and interviews from the meeting. Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today we're here live at the ASH annual meeting and I'm joined by Dr. Irvi Shah. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Kira. Nice to be here. Yes, definitely. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing about some of the, uh, the research you're presenting at ASH as well as the session you're moderating. Um, so to start off, would you like to tell us about this um, relapsed multiple myeloma session, uh, which you're moderating tomorrow and the abstracts that are being presented there? Sure, that's great. Um, so I, I find, or maybe I'm biased, but the relapsed myeloma session is where all the new drugs and things, the exciting things uh, that are coming down the pike we get to hear about. And so in this session, we have six oral abstracts. One is from the Asian Myeloma Network. These are not new drugs, but as a combination, studying this in uh, Singapore mainly, but looking at relapsed refractory myeloma patients. This was a phase three study looking at patients with prior um, PI or um, lenalidomide exposure, but not exposed to pomalidomide. There were 122 patients randomized, about 60 in each arm, to get pomalidomide, phosphamide, and dexamethasone, or pomalidomide and dexamethasone. And um, these patients had had three prior lines of therapy. The primary objective was progression-free survival. And um, the median PFS um, on the intervention arm of pomalidomide, cytoxin, dexamethasone was 10.9 months versus 5.8 months with pomalidomide and dexamethasone. And the overall response rate was about 55% versus 32%, just suggesting that the combination triplet is a good oral option that we could consider for patients and uh, overall well tolerated too. The next abstract that was presented by Dr. Chari was looking at talquetamab dosing in the Monumental 1 study, looked at reduced dosing of talquetamab and less frequent dosing and seeing if we, the responses were maintained or sustained long term. The results are encouraging to suggest that the frequency of dosing can be reduced so that patients can tolerate these treatments better and um, uh, reduce some of the treatment-related uh, side effects as well with these less frequent dosing. Um, the third abstract was on Sonrotoclax, which is a new next-generation BCL2 inhibitor, and it is more potent and selective than the BCL2 inhibitor Venetoclax. This drug um, was looked at in a phase 1b2 study um, in relapsed refractory myeloma patients with translocation 1114 with three or more lines of therapy. There were 19 patients in total treated, and the overall response rate was about 58%. Um, and in the higher dose cohort of 640 milligrams, the overall response rate was about 70%. The um, treatment was safe. In infections and cytopenias were the main issues. Um, and I think they're planning their recommended phase 2 dose to be 640 milligrams. This looks like a promising new therapy with greater potency, potency compared to Venetoclax for T1114 myeloma, so a, a new drug coming um, that could be used in patients with T1114 myeloma. Uh, the, the next uh, new drug that we heard about was HPN217 or TriTAC. This is a tri-specific antibody, so actually has um, targets BCMA, CD3 on T cells, as well as albumin in the blood. 
And the reason for this uh, tri-specific uh, nature is that if, it, if it's also binding to albumin, it's thought that that would prolong or extend the half-life of this drug. And there were 97 patients totally on this study and um, with a dose escalation plan. The overall response rate was 55% and it was well tolerated and the dosing is every two weeks given that it has this uh, um, tri-specific nature binding to albumin. So that suggests it makes it a bit um, you know, less frequent and easier for patients. So I think that there is still um, more for us to hear about that but encouraging to see that we could do less frequent dosing. Um, the next abstract was on mesigdomide. So mesigdomide is a novel potent um, cerebellon E3 ligase um, modulator or cell mod with enhanced uh, tumoricidal and immune uh, modulatory effects compared to an imid agent like lenalidomide and formalidomide. So in this study, um, they looked at mesigdomide daratumumab dexamethasone or mesigdomide elotuzumab dexamethasone in relapsed refractory myeloma patients with two to four prior lines of therapy. Um, patients got, uh, in the DARA dexamethasone cohort, there were about 59 patients and the overall response rate ranged based on the difference in frequency of dosing of the mesigdomide between 61 and 89 percent and the adverse events were mainly all related to cytopenias and was about 77 percent. Um, the elotuzumab dexamethasone arm had 20 patients and the overall response rate was closer to 45 percent and similarly had about 91 percent of grade 3-4 treatment emergent adverse events. So I think the main thing with this drug is looking at the cytopenia risk and kind of managing it, but otherwise it does have promising efficacy and, um, in these patient populations. And then the last abstract was looking at talquetamab, which as you all know is recently FDA approved, but in combination with pomalidomide, and this was the monumental two study, and they presented the data from the cohort of talquetamab and pomalidomide. And in this, you, with relapsed myeloma with two or more prior lines of therapy, there were two cohorts one with the, the 0.4 milligram dosing Q weekly and the other one with 0.8 milligram dosing Q2 weekly. And what they do see is there is some high-grade neutropenia, um, about 54%, and hypogammoglobulinemia is also seen. About 80% of patients had infections and 22% were grade 3 or 4. There was also quite a bit of dysgeusia, about 91%, just suggesting that overall, um, while this is a drug that has good um, likelihood of response and uh, effective. We still have to manage some of the side effects and see how tolerable it is. But most of the, you know, dysgeusia and skin nail side effects were all um, grade one or two. So that concludes all the six oral abstracts being presented in this session. And I think, you know, we see a lot of new exciting combinations as well as new drugs. Amazing. Well, that was such a super helpful overview of these abstracts. Um, it's so exciting to hear about all the new research. So thank you so much for summarizing them. It's very helpful. Um, I'm also curious to hear about um, your paper on MGUS and dietary factors that was recently published. Yeah, so uh, we're excited about this because there have really not been a lot of studies looking at dietary risk factors for MGUS and there's not a lot of data available in this for patients. And patients ask this question all the time and since MGUS and um, smoldering myeloma are a um, 
common, you know, over 3% of the population over the age of um, 50 have this disorder, it, it is important to be able to understand what could be modifiable risk factors for the development of this disorder. So in this study, um, we, we looked at the enhanced population and um, over 25,000 individuals had been tested for MGUS through the surplus CIRA program. Amongst these 25,000 that had been tested, um, 373 cases of MGUS were present in that population. And we matched these patients four is to one, one is to four with cases to controls. And we had about 1,406 controls that matched based on age, sex, race, BMI, and the NHANES um, release time. And so when we matched these patients, um, one, four is to one, we also had additionally a very diverse population, which is unusual for most studies. But in this study, there were tw about 27 to 28% non-Hispanic blacks and about 19% of races and ethnicities other than non-Hispanic black or white. Um, what we did see in this study is we looked at what is the association of different food groups. So patients on the NHANES study had been asked to fill out or, or uh, complete dietary recalls where they talked about what they ate in the last 24 hours, um, and this was done at multiple time points. This data of um, before the, the diagnosis of um, MGUS, we had the dietary data, so predating the MGUS diagnosis or the sample collection. And what we did see was that um, cola uh, or soft drinks or uh, sugar-sweetened, artificially sweetened soft drinks and beverages were all actually associated with a higher risk of MGUS. And this was about in the range of um, 30 to 60% increased risk um, with these uh, sugary drinks. Additionally, we also looked at other food-related factors that could lower risk. And consistently what we saw was that vegetables um, tomatoes, whole wheat bread, fruits and vegetables, and cruciferous vegetables reduced the risk by about 30%. Uh, about 30%. Um, this work was done in collaboration with Roswell Park and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute. And Janine Joseph, uh, who works at Roswell Park, um, is the lead author on this paper. Um, and I'm the last author, but she, she did most of the work. So um, I think that this is very exciting data for us to look at where we actually now have information to share or think about how do we reduce the risk of um, something where this, uh, you know, we know there's a risk of progression to myeloma. Definitely. That's, that's really fascinating. Thanks so much for sharing this one as well. Um, final question I'll ask you um, is about your poster, which you're presenting tomorrow of the Nutrivention trial. Would you like to tell us a little bit about this as well? Sure. So the Nutrivention trial um, is a study of patients with MGUS and smoldering myeloma. So as we know, there's a lot of data around, you know, risk factors for cancer development, like dietary risk factors, um, microbiome, uh, obesity, diabetes. But what we don't know is, can an interventional study actually delay progression if it's actually done other than these association studies? And so in this study, um, we looked at patients with MGUS and smoldering myeloma with a BMI over 25, so body mass index over 25. The reason we um, took patients with an elevated body mass index is because we do know in studies that have looked at associations, patients with an elevated BMI are twice as likely to progress to myeloma than somebody with a normal BMI. 
So we helped patients with a three months of a high fiber plant-based diet um, for three months and then six months of coaching during that period and then followed for a year on the study. These 20 patients actually had a mean BMI reduction of about 8.3% at three months and this was sustained at one year as well uh, to similar values. We saw an improvement in dietary compliance. So their unprocessed uh, plant food intake at baseline was only 20%, similar to a Western diet. This improved to 90% on the study, but was maintained even at a year out after at about 70%. We also saw an improvement in dietary fiber intake, which went up to the RDA or recommended daily allowance. What we do see is an improvement in insulin resistance, an improvement in quality of life, global health status um, in the EURTCQLQC30, as well as dyspnea and fatigue. All patients also, when we surveyed them post the intervention, said this was somewhat or very easy to follow and that they would be interested in signing up again. The study also enrolled about 43% um, non-white patients, so non-Hispanic white patients. Uh, so 43% minority other than non-Hispanic white patients. Uh, we saw an improvement in other biomarkers like the microbiome, an improvement in gut microbiome diversity, an improvement in the relative abundance of butrate producers in the stool, as well as uh, an improvement or changes in the immune function, such as um, improvement in the uh, monocyte fraction, the non-classical monocytes reduced and the um, classical or the anti-inflammatory monocytes increased. Um, additionally, we had two patients who actually had rising M proteins before going on the study and with the sustained weight loss, uh, we saw a slowing of their trajectory of the M spike progression where we calculated the rate of change of M spike pre, um, uh, for 20 months before and 20 months after and looked at the change and a p-value which was significant. So with all of this, just to summarize, um, I think that this uh, weight loss, high fiber dietary intervention did lead to improvements in insulin resistance, uh, microbiome changes such as improvement in gut microbiome di diversity, butyrate producers, all of things that we do know are associated with um, uh, risk of uh, progression or, and uh, have been looked at in association studies. And additionally, we saw some immune changes as well as maybe delayed progression for a few patients, encouraging findings. And we're looking at this actually with a much bigger study called the Nutrivention 3 study that's currently enrolling at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And this includes patients with MGUS and smoldering myeloma with any BMI. And we're looking at diet versus supplements which is omega-3 and curcumin versus placebo supplements. So hopefully in the next few years we'll have data on that, but that study is enrolling fast, and if you ever have patients interested in participating, they would need to come to Memorial Sloan Kettering spread out over a year six times and we can get the intervention shipped to them anywhere across the country so they don't really need to be living in New York but as long as they're willing to travel to see us about five to six times spread across a year where we're able to make it work from anywhere across the country. Thank you. Awesome. That, that's amazing that um, you're able to, you know, ship it to them and make it so accessible. Um, and it's also great that 
uh, the majority uh, patients said it was easy to follow and um, that they would do it again. So I'm sure that's a huge testament to the to the program itself. <laughs> yeah, I think it also, you know, made patients like the quality of life got better. They feel better. So I think that that helps and motivates patients then to, you know, continue a little bit after too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for talking today. Thank you.